I invite you to turn with me the last few verses of Exodus 15. We'll be reading verses 22 through 27 of chapter 15 this morning. Thank you so much for welcoming uh, Gage uh, last week. We enjoyed uh, some time away as a family, checking out a little bit more of Arkansas. Uh, so that, uh, that was good. Certainly appreciate you affording me that time. But it's always good to be back in the Word uh, with you and into the rhythm of life here at Trinity. So the Lord has delivered Israel from the slavery of Egypt. He's going before them, leading them uh, into, or leading them in the presence of this cloud through the wilderness. Uh, he saves them again from certain death as they cross the Red Sea uh, on dry ground. And so as we follow Israel on this journey, we've seen, we're going to continue to see that their journey is really our journey in so many ways. Um, It's a picture of the Christian experience. Uh, We're saved by grace. We are sanctified by the grace of God. Uh, So this wilderness experience, you know, the Lord could have taken His people right along that coastal highway due east right to the promised land. He could have just sort of zapped them there through some divine stargate. They walk through and then boom! They're on the other side of the Jordan and there's Jericho. He could have done that. But he doesn't. He takes them through this wilderness experience. Which means they need the wilderness. Um, A place to grow. A place to learn how to live in the promised land that they're going uh, to. So, uh, So here we are in the wilderness. Between the first coming of Christ and the return of our Savior. Um, sometimes that wilderness journey is shorter. Sometimes it's longer, depending on the years that the Lord gives us. I think of John Bunyan's allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress. It's a great title and a great description of the wilderness that God is using to uh, sanctify His people. Um, one of the great things about working through a book systematically like this is we can't you know, beginning to end, it forces us to look at all of these things. Uh, the whole process, this journey that God is taking us on. So let's see what happens here in uh, the end of chapter 15, verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord God, this is the word that you have for us this morning. It is a word that we need. Lord, we 
can't process this word or apply it apart from your help. And so we ask you to help us now. That you would encourage us, that you would teach us, that you would warn us through your word that we might follow you faithfully. Lord, it is you who works this word to perform it. And so we ask you to do that now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Trust me. Just trust me. How many times have you said those two words or heard those two words said? Um, I think there's plenty of discussion around the idea of earning trust, earning someone's trust. You, know, you keep your word, you, you show up on time. Uh, maybe you go out of your way to help when it's inconvenient. Well, that's a way to, to earn trust. But for a few minutes here, I want us to put an L in front of the urn. How do we learn to trust um, as individuals? How do we learn to trust as a church family? We, uh, we explored a little bit more of Arkansas a couple of weeks ago now. We spent some time up in Mountain View. We went to the Ozark uh, Folk Center State Park. And in the main parking lot right across in that parking lot is a place called Loco Ropes. Loco meaning crazy. Crazy rope courses. And so they've got climbing walls and zip lines and then these high ropes courses. And we thought this is a lot of ordinary, something kind of cool. And so uh, Katie and the kids strapped on um, their gear and um, I stayed on the ground with the phone to provide moral support and memories. <laughs> um, but they, they, they put on their, their gear and then they had a pretty specific training session before they, they climbed up to their first obstacle. And they had a, a strap, and at the end of this strap was kind of a double carabiner. I'm sure it has a specific name of sorts, where one side would lock, but the other would remain unlocked. And so as soon as they got to the top of the obstacle, they had to lock in, and then when they got to the end of the obstacle that they were crossing, well, then they had to slide that around, and the only way to unlock the side that was locked was if the other one was locked. And so then they would lock into a new wire. So never, thankfully... They were never unlocked from this uh, wire above them as they went uh, through these obstacles and you know, crossing bridges at they were 45 feet above the ground in some, some places. Um, but I was thinking, you know, how, did they, how did they learn to trust this system? Um, you know, once they were locked in, they had to put themselves at its mercy. They had to actually start the obstacle uh, that, that high above the ground. And, and as, as they went along, as they put their weight in this, or maybe they wobbled off a little bit, it, it caught them, it held them. So the farther they went, the, the, the more confidence they had. You know, by obstacle three or four, they were moving pretty quickly. Um, if we're, if we're going to trust in something, we often need to place ourselves in that precarious or uncertain position that allows that thing to, to hold us. The thing that we're trusting in. Okay, so if we're going to trust in someone, then we need to see the, the care of that one, the one that we're trust in a tough spot. Maybe when things don't make sense. We don't know what to make of the situation. Is this one going to help me? Is it going to hold me? Is this person going to provide what I need? 
So we learn trust through the unknown, through the times of testing. So the people of Israel are being tested. The dance is over. Okay, they've closed their hymnals after crossing the Red Sea. So how are they going to respond now to a few days of walking through the desert? You know, have they learned anything from the strikes against Egypt in this crossing? Okay, they saw the strong hand of the Lord okay, just three days earlier, bringing them to safety. Now, now they're in this tough spot. There doesn't, there's no easy answer in front of them. And there's a little phrase in verse 26, and I want to use that to structure our discussion of this event. If the people are going to do what's right in God's eyes as they make this journey through the wilderness, it means not doing what's right in their own eyes. We see both responses here in this episode. What's right in the eyes of the people, what's right in the eyes of God. So they move east, they move southeast into the wilderness. They've got you know, all their families, the animals, the water that they have is going to go pretty fast. And we don't assume that they were without water for these three days, but what they have is, is being depleted. Um, and as they go in this wilderness, there's no quick stops, no, you know, no places to, to pull over and, and, and refuel um, where they can tank up with water. And so they're getting pretty thirsty, as you can imagine. We can't go very long without water. It's one of those basic needs uh, that we have to have for our survival. So you can imagine how thankful they are when they get to this, this watering hole and they're cupping their hands, bring it to their faces, you maybe fill in the buckets, and it's bitter. They can't drink it. Um, they can't give it to their children. They can't give it to their animals. Um, a few weeks ago in Michigan County, uh, very close to where I grew up, they found extremely high levels of this, I can't even describe, pronounce it, but a, high levels of a fluoride compound in the drinking water. And they measured it at 20 times above the, the threshold that's been set for the drinking water. And so the Lieutenant Governor of Michigan declared this state of emergency. Uh, so to release some funds then for further testing in the state and to help purify the water. Uh, but this, this is looking like a state of emergency for Israel. Uh, at Mara here, the water is bitter, they need to drink. And so they turn to Moses, or maybe better said, they turn on Moses, right? Historically, that's what they've done. Let's pause here for a second. Moses has been leading them on this journey, but what route is Moses taking? He's taking the route that the pillar of cloud is taking. The pillar of God's presence is still, still there, still with the people. Okay? They can see it. And from, from the song of Moses that we, we heard just a couple weeks ago, they're, they're really glad that it's there, that God is there in their midst, fighting for them. They're pretty thankful for His presence. He is the one who has led them these three days with no water stops. Huh. Now they do stop and the water is bitter. It's undrinkable. Does God not know that they need water? I mean, this is interesting. But what is he doing here? What kind of curriculum is this? In the wilderness, the Israelites really are in the schoolhouse of God. His lesson plans, his tests are, are not designed to just spit out external conformity 
here, this is good for you, do this because I said so. Uh, It's good for you, it's good for everybody around you. His curriculum is aimed at the heart. Um, He wants wants the heart of his people. Um, He wants them to look to him and trust him. I mean, what, what reason do the people have at this point not to trust Yahweh? What reason do they have to believe that this God who has brought them out of Egypt, who has parted the water, will not provide for the very basic need in their thirst? He's their deliverer. He's their, their guardian, the one who's guided them. They have just to look at the cloud of God's presence and cry out, Yahweh, we're thirsty, help us. That's not what they do. Um, Slow learning curve here. Uh, They do what seems right in their own eyes. At the time, they whine and grumble against Moses. And as the Lord's representative to the people, they are grumbling against God. And Moses had told Pharaoh that they would go into the wilderness for, for three days to worship and Now, at least three days in, we don't see them worshiping. We see them whining, or at least turning from worship to whining. That's a big deal. I mean, this this grumbling, it shows a distrust in God's ability to actually provide for them. Maybe even questioning his motives. Would Would this God really take us this way through the wilderness? So they're, they're casting a vote, essentially, in this grumbling. No confidence in the Lord. So what's really happening at Mara? We think about this. What's in the water at Mara? I mean, sure, there, there's excess minerals that make the liquid itself undrinkable, but the bitter water pictures so well the bitterness in the hearts of the people. Their outward circumstances, this testing is showing the bitter, complaining spirit that's on the inside. They're quick to forget. Their faith is, is small. They're trusting in their own perceptions and understanding of the situation. I think how often does our gratitude for what God has done in Christ, for His provision from day to day, turn into grumbling? Our worship into whining. How long is it going to take after this morning? We can, we can have a nice quiet time in the morning, maybe a nice breakfast. But then within the hour, we're stuck in traffic. Or you get that phone call and you turn into the Grinch. Right? Nothing, then nothing goes right. Um, yeah, I mean, it surprises me sometimes how I can thank God for His providence and then complain against that providence in almost the same breath. It shows an underlying lack of confidence, lack of trust in the Lord's care. Why is this? Because in our sin, we do what's right in our own eyes. We'll be like God. Does that sound familiar? And it's up to us to provide. See, sin pushes us away from our Creator in independence. While the heart of faith moves us closer in dependence upon Him. So, brothers and sisters, we must guard against a complaining spirit. It's just toxic. It's toxic to our relationships, at home, at church, everywhere. 
Paul writes the uh, church in Corinth. He's actually relaying what has happened here in, in the Old Testament with Israel. And at one point he says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So he's referring to the things yet uh, to come on this journey, but we're seeing the seeds of it here in Mara. Now these things happen to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Let me encourage you to take some time today, maybe this week, to really consider those bitter places. Bitter places in your life that are a source of complaint. It could be a particular situation, maybe an ongoing circumstance that just seems to bubble over in bitterness for you. Something that's coming between you and the Lord, maybe hindering your ability to trust. The one who you have absolutely no reason not to trust. Where are those places? Those are situations that keep coming up. Now there's a difference here between how the people respond at Mara and how Moses responds. It's kind of what moves us from what's right in our own eyes to what's right in God's eyes. The people grumble against Moses. You hear that language? Consequently against the Lord. But Moses cries out to the Lord. Big difference between those approaches. To cry out against the Lord is to, to approach Him in distrust, to, to, to actually accuse Him. Lord, this is crazy. Do you really know what it is you're doing? To cry out to the Lord in prayer is at least to acknowledge that He can do something even better, that we're trusting in Him to do something. We say that though, though we can't see it, it's not crazy. It's, it's more of an appeal, a submission to what he has in, tour, in store for his people. So, what, what shall we drink? It's not a bad question. But even important, more important than what is said so often is how it's said, right? What's the heart behind it? Rather than grumbling, which we're prone to do, we should take our problems, take our concerns to the Lord. And examples of this are just numerous in the Scriptures. Probably the songs of David are what come to your mind as you think of this. Now here's one example from Psalm 17. Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me. You'll find nothing. I have proposed purpose that my mouth will not transgress. So you can hear him crying out, not against, but to the Lord for justice, for rest. Um, so this is Moses in verse 25. It's a cry of dependence, trust, that if anyone is going to do something, it will be Yahweh. If anyone's going to do something about this bitterness, and the Lord does what only He can do. Moses tosses this tree or piece of wood into the water and it turns into the best southern sweet tea that, that they could enjoy. Um, that's the southern version that is yet to be trans published. Um, but it wasn't tea. Um, but the water was sweet. It was drinkable. It was replenishing. And they, you know, they still haven't found a tree in that region that has the natural sweetening properties um, to sweeten water, nonetheless, this much water that the people could enjoy. 
Um, so this is, a, this is a supernatural work of God through Moses. Moses follows the instruction of the Lord. Um, so this action, actually, on Moses' part, the whole process of, of turning what was bitter into something sweet shows the people their need for the Lord's instruction. They need to listen to him and heed what it is he says if they're going to enjoy this provision, if they're going to enjoy the sweetness of their relationship with him. See, they've tried responding by what was right in their own eyes already. They've tried it. Now God says, it's time to do what is right in my eyes. The people listen, obey the Lord's commands, which they have every reason to do, and that which is bitter will be made sweet. I think verse 26, it, it really serves as a mini-covenant. You know, there, there are terms and obligations here in this relationship, blessings and curses. This is before they get to Sinai. And the blessings and curses that come with uh, the moral law. The Lord is Yahweh Rophe, their healer. He has healed the water and He will heal the hearts of His people as they walk in obedience to Him. Love the threefold emphasis there. Listen to the voice of the Lord. Do that which is right. Give ear to His commands. The Lord is testing His people. Um, teaching them not to fear, but to trust. If they'll heed His voice, if they'll listen, if they'll cry out to Him, and not against Him, then He'll provide in absolute abundance. There's verse 27. Just a demonstration of His provision. His abundant mercy. Uh, for the people, um, you know, the, the palm trees, it, it would show a, a permanent source of water in this place. Uh, likely not very far from where they were at Mara. Thinking, you know, the number 12 and, and 70 that we have there in that verse, we can take them as historically, they're actual numbers of, of springs and trees that were found there, but, but these numbers are often symbolic of completeness and fullness as the story continues. So God provides completely. His grace abounds toward His people. He's not just, well, here's enough, don't take more than one cup. No, it's, it's an overabundance of provision. Apostle tells the church in Ephesus, now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly, more all that we ask or think, according to the power that is at work within us. So the people need water, but more importantly, they need their deliverer. They need their Savior. To do what is right in His eyes is what brings life. And later in Deuteronomy 30, as Moses is preparing to leave the people, he's going to remind them of this. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And just a couple verses later, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice and holding fast to Him for He is your life and length of days. The Lord God and what is right in His eyes is their sweet water their source of life in the wilderness. And he is, he is for you, for me. 
on this journey. He's given us all things for life and godliness. Most supremely, He has given us Himself. He is our life and length of days. Jesus is our life, Paul says in Colossians 3. The deepest longings and thirst of our hearts is quenched in Him and Him alone. He says in John chapter 7 that His Spirit is the spring of living water that flows from the heart of faith. We know it's Jesus who passed this test in the wilderness. We're going to talk more about that uh, next week. But He is the obedient Israelite who cries not against God, but to His heavenly Father, saying, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus, the one who is our life, heals us from the disease of our sin. Why do we have such a hard time trusting Him? If the blood has delivered us, if He has provided for what it is we need the most, how will, he, how will He not meet those lesser needs? Paul asked that very question in Romans 8.32. He will provide what we need the most as we, we trust His heart in the test. It's His unfolding plan. It's His tender heart towards us. Trusting that He will turn what is bitter into sweet. That He will turn what is bad to good Death to life. Um, so how do we do this? How do we fight a grumbling spirit? Learn to trust? We have to keep looking at Christ. We have to keep looking at the cross He bore for us. We must drink of the living water of His Word. Pray and that the Spirit would remove our, our dissatisfaction, our accusations. And replace that with a greater satisfaction in the Lord Jesus, our Savior. So this episode really captures, it captures the whole wilderness experience, doesn't it, for Israel? Uh, it's just a good snapshot of this. They grumble, God delivers through Moses. They're going to learn to trust. Well, they learn that God cares for them and protects them and loves them so that when He does give them His law, it will be received with gratitude. And a desire to obey. Will we learn to trust in this wilderness? Well, we heard Dr. R.C. Sproul share on the holiness of Christ downstairs right before worship. Near the end of his lecture, he says that the essence of the Christian faith is grace. The essence of the Christian ethic, as we ought to be doing each and every day, is gratitude. A gratitude for the life that we have in Christ it displaces grumbling, bitterness of heart. So will you trust Him? Are you trusting Him? Come, Jesus says. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Father, we thank You for this Word. And it is You, Lord Jesus. You are our living water. It satisfies us that heals us. Lord, we thank You for this picture in the wilderness, which pictures so well our own journey on this day in this wilderness. Free us from grumbling, bitter spirit. Uh, may hearts of gratitude overflow 
on the part of your people. For you have delivered us. You are our God, our healer. We pray this in the strong name of Christ. Amen.